Um, all right, let's get down into our Bible study. Turn your Bibles to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12, and if you need a Bible, we have uh, some very fine gentlemen coming down the aisles now with Bibles. And we are continuing our book series in the book of Romans. We'll, depending on how I sense the Lord moving, we'll most likely close out Romans next week. But tonight, I hope you are there in Romans chapter 12. Did I get slides working as well? Romans chapters 9 through 11 was our Bible study last week. Um, it was a more of a theologically heavy uh, discussion. We talked about Israel. We talked about um, whether or not the church has replaced Israel as God's chosen people. Um, we answered some different theological questions. Uh, if you want a recap or to review last Monday night's message, you can watch it on our Facebook page or listen by way of podcast. Um, and um, up to this point, um, Paul has been speaking to this church at Rome, um, a church that he uh, later communicates in chapters 15 and 16 that he he's really has a heart for them. He wants to go and visit them. He wants to go and actually see them and uh, speak with them face to face. But in the meantime, he's written this letter to them. And last week, we kind of summarized uh, how he shares his deep, tremendous heart and passion for his own Jewish people. Because the Jewish people rejected Jesus Christ as their Messiah. And so Paul says that Gentiles now, anyone who isn't Jewish, has now had an opportunity to receive and accept Jesus Christ because Jesus didn't just die for his own Jewish people, but he died for the whole world. Uh, a big question that some people have is, well, if the Jews are God's chosen people, uh, do they get an automatic free ride to heaven? Uh, the answer is no. Uh, no one gets to the Father except through their relationship with Jesus Christ. So Jew, Gentile, male, female, all have to come into a faith-saving relationship with Jesus Christ. Um, and so the Jewish people need to extend that same uh, faith in the Messiah, the true Messiah, Jesus, in order to uh, live eternally with uh, God the Father. And uh, this is salvation. And Paul says that, unfortunately, many of the Jewish people, uh, obviously people like Paul, uh, the disciples, uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, uh, John, Peter, uh, all of them are Jews and they've accepted Jesus as the, as the true Messiah. But many of the Jewish people, um, even today, uh, still do not see Jesus as their true Messiah. Their vision of Messiah was one who was going to come and deliver political peace to the whole world. You see, at that time, in Jesus' time, uh, the Jewish nation, Israel, the Jewish people, they were under Roman oppression. The Romans were the dominant world power at that time. And so they were looking for this Messiah. Please, God, send this Messiah to bring us political peace so that we don't have to be under the authority of any empire. That was not why Jesus initially came. Jesus' second coming, he will bring uh, peace politically to the whole world. But the reason Jesus came the first time around was not to bring political peace, but was to bring spiritual peace to our hearts. There's a greater problem than the political feud we even still see in our day, and it's the heart condition being that we are bad, evil, wicked people. And that's the greater problem that Jesus came to fix. The problem of our hearts, bad, wicked, separated from God, 
Jesus came to reconcile our hearts back to God. And if you place your faith and trust in Jesus, uh, you will be spiritually refreshed and spiritually revived, uh, given a new heart, given a new spirit in the Lord. And we talked about that. We talked about just continuing to die to our flesh. You know, I brought up the analogy of how um, I, I love chocolate. And I start to, if I just have one chocolate bar, I start to crave it and give in to that. Um, thank you to the person who's been dropping Hershey chocolate bars into my office periodically this past week to tempt me and lure me. I only ate one of the, I think, two or three you've delivered. I don't know who, who you are, but um, been playing this trick on me. I really appreciate it. But in the same way, our, our, our sinful nature... Uh, once we taste sin, once we give in to sin, just even a little bit, our, our nature, our humanity begins to crave it. And we start to go deeper and deeper into sin. And Paul says in Romans uh, 8 and in Galatians chapter 6 to starve the sinful nature, but yet to feed the Spirit, to feed the things of the Spirit, to feed uh, the things that honor and please the Lord in order to starve the flesh, in order to starve those things that we continuously fall back into, but that will only lead to destruction. See, sin is so deceiving because it always tells you about the benefits and the pleasures, but it never tells you about the consequences that will always follow. And so Paul t- says to uh, forget the ways of our sinful nature, to start feeding the things of the Spirit, get into God's Word, uh, pray. The Lord is uh, delighted and excited and loves when we bring our requests to Him. And so Paul talks about that, talks about nine in, cha- in chapters 9, 10, and 11, the plan for Israel that ultimately uh, God is not done with the Jewish people. He still has a plan and purpose for them, that a remnant of the Jews will be saved and will see uh, Jesus for who He truly is. Um, and so then now in Romans chapter 12, uh, Paul always usually follows up uh, heavy, strong theological discussions with just a very encouraging word. And so I'm excited to dive into Romans chapter 12 and see what that encouragement is. It's a beautiful chapter in Scripture, very encouraging, very yet convicting uh, chapter. One of my favorite chapters in all of the Bible, just some very good uh, refrigerator verses come from Romans chapter 12, some good uh, just coffee cup kind of verses with a nice cup of coffee and a, a nice Instagram post. You get these from Romans chapter 12 right here. So let's read Romans 12, the first two verses together, and then we'll pray and we'll dive in. Romans chapter 12, verse 1, Paul says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Let's pray. Lord, before we dive in to hear from you, we just want to commit our Bible study to you. And we always want to be people who first invite your spirit into this room. We want to invite your presence here, Lord, to Just calm our hearts before you. I know that many of us have brought into this room the mess from their day, whether that was just a busy, hectic work day where our minds were just consumed with all that goes into our responsibilities and our job, Uh, whether we're bringing in 
different family troubles, Lord. We've been dealing with relationship issues that just continue to go unresolved. And we just bring that into this room, Lord, and we invite your presence here just to minister to our hearts through your word. Uh, We just thank you for who you are, God, your love for sending your son Jesus to die on the cross for us, Lord. We thank you for your consistent character, your loyalty, and your faithfulness to us, God. And so we just first, we pause and we commit our Bible study to you, God. I ask that you would do a special, precious work, unique work in our hearts and in our lives as we study your word. We thank you for the privilege of studying your word in a free country. We love you. And we pray that you would begin to move in our hearts now, we pray. All this in the name of Jesus. And everybody said, Amen. Uh, Romans chapter 12, great passage in Scripture. Paul moves from a heavy theological discussion into now an earnest exhortation regarding the Christian way of life. Uh, Here are the key verses, and we just read, and it's on the screens there, but it's a little bit small. You might not be able to see it on the screens, but back to your Scriptures Chapter 12, verse 1 through 2, I beseech you, therefore, this is Paul, you just kind of catch his heart right here. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, brethren, it's just a broad term, brothers, sisters, the, the church he's speaking to, by the mercies of God that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service, and do not be conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So I first want you to pick up on Paul's heart right here where he says, I beseech you, brothers, sisters. Basically, he's like, I'm pleading with you. I beg of you. I beseech you, brothers and sisters. Now, I want you to notice Paul appeals to our will. Okay, it's very important to, before we go any further, just to understand this, that God calls us to make a choice about the way that we live for Him. Okay, God doesn't force us or coerce us into living our lives for Him. He wants us to freely respond with our lives. So Paul's like, I I beseech you, I I beg with you, I plead with you. The heart here is is a passionate heart, but also one that is wanting to communicate Uh, God's heart for us. God doesn't force us into a relationship with Him. God doesn't coerce us or force us to live a certain way for Him. Uh, He desires us to live a certain way for Him, but He keeps our free will intact because He wants this to be a love relationship. Okay, if I, in my loving relationship with my wife, if I forced her to love me um, and she was some kind of robot where I... Uh, coerced her and forced her into this relationship. I mean, first of all, creepy, weird, and I would probably be in prison. I'd be in jail. This is just creepy and wrong. No one would consider that a love relationship. A love relationship is when two people mutually and freely choose to respect, love, and submit to one another and serve one another. This is God's heart for us. He doesn't want to force us or coerce us into a relationship with Him. Okay, the guilt that you've been experiencing over your sin, that's not of the Lord. Okay, the enemy pushes guilt on you, pushes shame on you. That's not from the Lord. Now, the Holy Spirit might convict you of sin. He might lovingly guide you away from sin and plead with you to not give in to certain temptations. But the Bible says that God doesn't speak guilt or shame over our sin. But he lovingly, 
as a good father does a child, just kind of brings us back onto the right course, just tenderly speaks to us, encourages us, gives us his Holy Spirit to convict us, exhort us, encourage us to live for him. But there's no uh, forcing or, or coercing. Understand your father's heart in this relationship. He wants you to freely respond to him. So Paul says, I beseech you. I, I plead with you. I, I beg with you. And now what is he pleading them to do? Well, look there in verse 1. He, he says, I beseech you. I, I plead with you, brothers, sisters, by the mercies of God, that you, here it is, present your bodies a living sacrifice. Present your bodies a living sacrifice. We'll talk about what that means, but he's basically pleading with them to live their lives for God. As simply as I can put it, I beg with you, I plead with you to live for the Lord. Okay, just as Paul writes that to the church at Rome, it's my same heart for you. I plead with you because of my love for you, live for the Lord. I've tried living for myself. It doesn't work. Many of you have tried living for yourself living for your own desires, living for your own passions. It's fun for a season, but it doesn't fulfill. It doesn't last. So I plead with you, live for the Lord, his life for you, his will for you, his call on your life, his purpose for you. So much better than your plans and purposes for yourself. So Paul's heart here, I I plead with you to what? To present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Now, why does Paul plead with them to do this? On what basis is Paul pleading with them? We can easily skip over it, but he says, I plead with you by the mercies of God. I beseech you by the mercies of God. That's so key, by the mercies of God. I plead with you by the mercies of God. Okay, up until this point, Paul has been insistent that our standing before God depends wholly on his mercy. Okay, here is no different. God's mercy is the very thing that supplies us and propels us to then live for Him. God's mercy is the very thing that supplies us and propels us to live for Him. So Paul pleads with his brothers and sisters at Rome to live a certain way in light of God's mercy toward us, in light of all that God has done for us, in light that all of God has done for you. Now I plead with you to live for him in response. So let's just, for a moment, let me just point out some of those mercies, some of the ways that God has shown his love for us, some of the things that God has done for us. So justification from the guilt and penalty of sin, adoption as sons and daughters in Jesus Christ, given a new identity, uh, placed under grace, not under law, chapter four, uh, given the Holy Spirit to help us, chapter eight, A promise to help us in all of our afflictions, also chapter 8. Assurance of our salvation. Coming of our future glory. Confidence that nothing can separate us from God's love, chapter 10. Confidence of God's continued faithfulness to us. In light of all of these mercies, all of these things that Paul has talked about, in light of all of this, live for the Lord. In light of all of the ways God has loved you and shown his mercy upon you, in light of his faithfulness and his love that is unconditional, now live for the Lord in response. Let those things now propel you into a deeper walk, into a deeper relationship with the Lord. In light of all of this mercy, Paul begs us now to offer our bodies as a living sacrifice. 
present your body as a living sacrifice. Now, what does this mean, to present our bodies as living sacrifices? You know, I, I know that they sacrificed um, animals in the Old Testament, um, bulls, goats, sheep. You know, I never fully kind of understood why they did that, but I know that they sacrificed uh, animals in the Old Testament. And so now we're supposed to sacrifice ourselves, but we're still supposed to be alive? I don't, I don't really get it. What's, what's Paul talking about here? Like, are, are we like the walking dead? You know, that's kind of what I think about. Offer your bodies as living sacrifices. Sacrifices have the association with death, but yet we're supposed to still be alive. Are we the walking dead? Okay, what is, what is Paul talking about here? Well, Paul isn't speaking literally, but he's speaking spiritually. Offer your bodies as living sacrifices. Okay, so in the Old Testament, uh, this was a priestly thing, a, an act of the, the priestly service, where the Jewish nation, uh, for numerous reasons, whether it was to honor God, whether it was to obey God, obey God, whether it was to worship God, whether it was for the atonement of their sin temporarily, they would bring a lamb, a sheep, uh, a goat, a bull, uh, to the temple, to the altar, in, again, worship to the Lord, praise to the Lord, honor to the Lord, in obedience to the Lord, to thank the Lord, to provide temporary atonement for their sin. They were to literally offer an animal on the altar and they were to physically sacrifice that animal as an act of obedience. So what Paul is saying here, listen, in the same sense, we are to, spiritually speaking, offer our bodies on God's altar. Spiritually speaking, offer our bodies on God's altar. Now when he says bodies, he's, it's an all-encompassing term. Uh, our physical bodies, yes, but also our uh, spirit, our soul, our mind, our thoughts, offering it to the Lord, our time, offering it back to the Lord, everything about us, uh, what we do with our bodies, what we do with our time, all of our thoughts, all of our energy, we're supposed to offer it back to the Lord as a living sacrifice. This is what Paul's communicating here. It's it's not literal. Uh, It's obviously spiritual. Spiritually speaking, our bodies are to be brought to God's altar. Now, here's what's key. Present your bodies means that God wants you. When we are called to present our bodies to the Lord, our time, our energy, our thoughts, our spirit, our soul, our physical bodies to the Lord, the Lord wants you, okay? He's asking for you. He's not asking for your works. Okay, you can give all of your works back to the Lord, but you still don't give yourself to the Lord. You know what I mean? Okay, in my own Christian walk, in order to impress the Lord, in order to feel like I'm in right standing with the Lord, I continually offer my works to the Lord, which aren't a bad thing. Our works are a good and necessary part of our relationship with the Lord. But oftentimes we get in this habit where we are just offering our works to the Lord. Lord, what can I do for you? Okay, like Jonathan said 10 minutes ago, the the Lord doesn't need us. He loves when we participate in his plan with us. And we can get into this mentality where we are just working for the Lord. Lord, I'm going to offer you my works. I'm going to offer you my time. I'm going to offer you everything about what I do, my behavior, everything, Lord, I'm offering it to you. We can can do that, but we still can do that without offering ourselves. The Lord wants you. He doesn't just want your works for him. Again, he doesn't need us to work for him. He loves it when we respond in obedience and live for him, but he wants you. He just simply 
wants you. He wants that relationship with you. Offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. So let's continue to unwrap this meaning. A living sacrifice. Well, what does it mean to be a sacrifice unto God? What are some mental pictures of, you know, when you think of Old Testament Bible times, them offering animals as a sacrifice? What are some of those mental images? Well, I noted some. What does it mean to be a sacrifice unto God? Think of what a sacrifice was actually communicating to God. Okay, I am offering this to the Lord. I am willingly laying this down or letting go of this. I am committing this to the Lord. I am handing over the rights to God. I am giving back to God. I am putting to death. That's what a sacrifice was communicating. This is how we're now supposed to present our lives to Him. Our lives as a sacrifice. We are now to, because of God's mercy toward us, give back to God. Offer ourselves to God. Let go of ourselves and give it to the Lord. You know, we're, we're people of control. We love control. And we love to control ourselves. But as a part of offering ourselves to the Lord, it means releasing control, which is a scary thing. It's a dangerous thing. It's a risky thing. I, I, God, I don't want to release control of my life. You know, I still want my time and my things and my fun I don't want to release control to you, God, because that means then I'll have to conform my ways to you. But when you think of that mental image of what it means to sacrifice, a sacrifice was giving over to the Lord. It was letting go to the Lord. It was a releasing of something to the Lord, trusting that He would provide. That's the same thing with us. We have to release ourselves to the Lord, give ourselves back to the Lord, offer ourselves to the Lord because of all that he's done for us just to give him control. God, I am giving you control. I am giving you control of my marriage. I am giving you control of my school. I am giving you control of my job. Okay, I am giving you control of my time. I am giving you control of my dating relationship. I am giving you control of my habits. Okay, I I could go on and on. It's a relinquishing of control to a greater power, a greater authority who knows your life, who knows what's best for you. It's a scary thing to do, but when you finally just trust the Lord and you give your life back to the Lord, you give your relationships, your job, your career, your whatever back to the Lord, it is such a freeing thing. It's a hard thing to do at first, but when you release control back to the Lord, you offer your bodies as a living sacrifice to the Lord, it is so freeing. Because now your life, your relationships, your job, the pressure is off. It is God's. God's this, God, this is your money, okay? What do you want me to do with it? God, this is, this is your job. How do you want me to serve my coworkers? God, this is your job. Okay, how do you want me to, to, to behave at the office? God, this is, this, is your, this is your relationship. Okay, how do you want me to serve my spouse or serve my boyfriend or girlfriend within this relationship? It just relinquishes control back to the Lord where it, it properly should belong. So this is how we're supposed to live now. 
offering ourselves back to the Lord. So let's take the concept of time for just for an example. So let's extrapolate this a little bit further. Let's take the concept of time. So as we are offering our bodies to the Lord, bodies, as I said, it's an, it's an all-encompassing term. It means our thoughts, our physical bodies, our spirit, our soul, our time, our energy. So let's take time, for example. What does it mean to offer our time to the Lord? I am committing my time to the Lord. I'm giving my time back to the Lord. I'm willingly laying down what I want to do with my time. And now I'm asking God, what would you like to accomplish with the time you've given me? What would you like to accomplish uh, with, with the time you've given me? So single dudes, just for a moment. I'm talking to the guys here. Single dudes. Single guys. Okay. Listen up, guys. Ladies, you can... Don't check out, ladies. Pay attention. Single guys. Okay, listen. Just, just go with me for a moment. Okay, I might offend you. That's good. That's my goal. Here's what I hear oftentimes when it comes to time. I don't have enough time to serve at my church. Okay, I don't have enough time to go to Honduras. I don't have enough time to go to the men's retreat. Uh, I'm so busy, I, I can't uh, make it to uh, the church on such and such a day. Uh, time, 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 I don't have enough of it to serve the Lord, to go on a trip, uh, to go to re- a retreat, uh, to serve at my church, to uh, go to church on Sundays, to come to young adults. Okay, I don't have the time. Okay, listen, and, and you, you, might be, you might be saying, listen, I, I work, I work, okay? I work 40 sometimes 50 hours a week. Okay, listen, there are 160 hours in a week. So, if you work, let's just say 40 hours a week, regular work week, uh, that would take you down to 128 hours of freedom. So, you work 40 hours a week, it's great. And now you have 128 hours to figure out what to do with your time. And now you're like, but Austin, I sleep though. I sleep. Okay, yeah, that's great. You sleep. Let's say you sleep eight hours a night, which I know you don't, guys. Eight hours a night. I know it's more like five, six, maybe seven. Like six. Oh, yes, six hours of sleep. That was great. Okay, let's just, I'm, I'm going to give you a couple extra hours. Okay, let's just say you get on average eight hours of sleep a week. That's 56 hours. So 128 hours of freedom minus that 56 hours a week. That brings you to about 70-ish hours a week of freedom. What are you doing with 70 hours of your free time? 70 hours. 70 hours of free time. Now, we can justify that 70 hours with a lot of things. And sometimes, yes, legitimate things. But here's what ends up happening with that 72 hours of freedom. Okay? Just playing real, being blunt, video games, YouTube, TV. Video games, YouTube, TV. Now, I know you ladies are like, yes, preach it. This is great. <laughs> video games, that's all they do. They don't have time for me. Okay, listen. Guys, just, just being real and being honest with you because I love you. Listen, 72 hours of free time without your week, within your week, because you work 40, 50 hours, you sleep eight hours, which you don't, and you've got now 72 hours of free time, and you say, I don't have time to serve at my church, go to a men's retreat, take a week out to go to Honduras, 
make it to Sunday church. Listen, and, and th- those are just four things. Listen, am I trying to guilt you into stuff? You know, honestly, yeah. You know, I'm trying to guilt you, okay? <laughs> because these are the things we need to take seriously in our relationships with the Lord. 72 hours, and it usually is filled up with some video games, some YouTube, some computer time, some TV time. And listen, I know there are legitimate reasons sometime as to why we can't make uh, a service, why we can't serve at the church on a given day. Listen, I know things with job and with family, you know, I'm, I'm not trying to be legalistic about this, but I'm just trying to get you for a moment to take brief scope of your week with work and with sleep taken out of the equation. Now you have 72 hours of your week and yet I still have, I still hear, uh, I don't, I don't have time to read my Bible or I don't make time to read my Bible. Uh, you don't need to make time. You got 72 hours. Uh, you don't need to make or, or force time uh, or manipulate time to work with Bible reading or to work with prayer time. Okay, you have, you have plenty of hours to allow yourself to put down the video game console for a brief second, to turn off the TV, to close the laptop, to close the computer, and just to get alone with the Lord, to spend time with the Lord, to serve at your church, to go on a mission trip. Things that I know if we did more of, and I'm putting myself in this same picture, if we did more of, it would be life-changing. It would change our whole attitude and our whole mentality about life. But I'm convinced that we fill those hours of free time with stuff that don't edify us and with stuff that don't encourage us, but more so we fill that time and then look back on that time and it's just a complete waste and we're like, what did I just do for the last 24 hours? But I'm convinced that if we just set aside some of those things that we just, that just so consume our time and our energy and our thoughts, we would have a lot less anxiety, we'd have a lot less worry, we'd be a lot less depressed and we would now have a changed mindset, a changed attitude to continue just to use our time that the Lord has given us, offering it back to the Lord saying, Lord, what would you like to accomplish with my time? I'm going to give it back to you. I'm going to offer it to you. I'm no longer in control of my time. I am laying it on the altar. I'm giving it back to you, Lord. Now, I don't say that because YouTube's bad, video games are bad, TV is bad, computer's bad. I I love all those things to a certain extent. But if it's consuming our time, if it's consuming our thoughts, if if it's consuming what we do, and we come out of that time and Sometimes we don't even know where we are. Okay, that's a bad thing. That's not a good thing. So just consider that. Now, ladies, I won't spend as much time on you. All the single ladies, check in real quick. Guys, you can check out now. I had, we had time together. All the single ladies, all the single ladies, all the single ladies. Okay, check, check in just for a moment. Same, same, same thing. Just ask yourself, what am I doing with my time? Am I offering my time unto the Lord? Or am I so consumed and so spent on looking for a relationship, looking for a boyfriend, spending time on Instagram and online shopping? Just presenting some things to you to think about, consider, okay? What am I doing with my time? Am I using it, offering it back to the Lord? Verse 2. Let's get out of that. That was, that was awkward. Verse 2. And do not be conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will. 
Do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, some translations say, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So, do not be conformed to the pattern of this world. Don't copy the behavior of this world. It's as simple as that. It's easy for us to see the pattern of this world, to see the pattern of our friends. We want to fit in, and so we just succumb to the pattern of this world. Paul says, do not copy the behavior of this world. We're supposed to look different. Don't be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed. Be transformed. It's the Greek word metamorpho. It's where we get our English word metamorphosis. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. It's the Greek word anakinosis. And it means renovation. I love those house projects where they do like a total turnaround. You know, someone will take just a, a junky house, put a hundred grand into it, completely do a renovation of it and sell it. And it's just this beautiful house. You don't even recognize it because it looks so different now. They've totally transformed it, renovated it. Okay. This is the concept we think with our minds. Okay. In the same, in the, in the same way that our, our minds are just so dirty and a mess and can just be sometimes just so junk filled. God says, I want to do a complete renovation of your mind. I want to, re- I want to remove the junk in your mind, the, the worry, the anxiety, all the junk that is in your mind. I want to completely do a renovation of your mind, completely transform your mind. And then the result will be, if you noticed, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove that you may learn, NLT says, what is that good and acceptable and perfect will. So the result of not copying the behavior of this world and allowing the Lord to do a complete reno of your mind, the result will be that you actually learn the will of God in your life. Has anybody ever asked that question before? God, what is your will for me? What is your will for my life? It's a big question we tend to ask. God, what is your will for my life? Our worries about this can be settled when our minds are are renewed, meaning when we ask God just to give us a completely different outlook and perspective on life. Here's the key. We need to look at our present season through the scope of eternity. Look at your present season through the scope of eternity. Allowing God to give you a completely new mind, completely new outlook on your life. And you need to look at your present season. I don't know exactly what season of life you find yourself in, but look at your present season through the scope of eternity. It's easy for us to be discouraged about life when you're looking at your problems through a microscope. Because a microscope enlarges things. And we tend to do that with our lives, with our relationships, with our problems, We look at our problems through a microscope and everything under a microscope just seems bigger than it actually is. We tend to enlarge our problems, enlarge our issues because we are looking at it through the lens of a microscope. Uh, How many of you like actually traveling like on airplanes or like taking flights? Okay, maybe it's okay. I've got some good, good, uh, good company around me. I actually love like taken off in an airplane in the flight, and I, I love the window seat, especially because you just get the whole view of everything. Okay, so one of the things I love about airplanes, other than the nice warm pillows and blankets and the good airplane food that they give you, I actually like airplane food for some weird reason. But aside from that, one of my favorite things about uh, flights, about airplanes, is when you're taking off, 
and you're sitting at that window seat, you just get a whole view of the land, of the landscape, and you try to pinpoint where your house is. Has anybody of you, anyone done that? Like, you try to actually, like, find your house, and I've never been successful in doing that. But I, I, I look at, during the takeoff, I, I try to pinpoint different, different things uh, in the landscape, like, oh, there's the church, oh, that's the, that's the football field, oh, that's my house, that kind of a thing. And you get just the whole bigger view of the landscape. Okay, in that same sense, when it comes to your life, I want you to remove the microscope of your life. Stop looking at your problems through the lens of a microscope and start looking at your life in the scope of eternity. And eternity uh, the, the airplane, the flight, represents that, that eternity. Because when you're taking flight and when you're flying, you can, you can just get the bigger picture. And when you get the bigger picture of the land, uh, things just seem smaller. Now, I'm not saying they seem more insignificant. I'm not saying your problems are insignificant. They're not. God cares about your problems. He cares about the details of your life. But when you look at your problems through the scope of God's lenses being the airplane window, okay, your problems, your relationships, your issues, they're part of a much bigger picture of God's purposes for your life. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. When God gives you just a different outlook, a different perspective on your life, you stop looking at your life through the microscope, you start looking at your life through the big picture of the airplane window, and you see everything about your life, the grand scheme of life, the eternal perspective that God has about you, you'll then begin to look at your problems, your situations, your issues in life, not as less significant, but they appear much smaller in the grand scheme of things. We have to learn to remove ourselves from just the microscope of life and begin to put ourselves, look, look at ourselves, look at our life through the lenses of God and look at just the grand scheme of life. When we look and we just scale you know, the rest of our lives potentially before the Lord, does this one little issue at work in the grand scheme of life, is it really that big of a deal? Your one little issue here, your one little issue there, it's not insignificant, but in the grand scheme of life, you will begin then to have a different attitude, a different approach to those different things in your life. And then you will begin to discern God's will for you. Sometimes we're so focused on the here and now, the the present, which yes, we should be, but within that sometimes comes the tendency just to pick apart every little thing, every little relationship. We don't get our way here, a breakup happens here, and our life is just over. No, look at the grand scheme of life through the lenses of God, how he sees your season, how he sees your job, how he sees your relationship. One breakup here, one job loss there, might be God's way of allowing you and moving you into the newer season, the better season that he has for you. Don't look at your relationship or your job loss or your your issue through just the here and now, because that will tend to discourage us and break us apart. Look at it through the lens of the bigger picture. What is God trying to show me here? How is God trying to improve my character here? How is God trying to give me a new outlook here? Look through the airplane window on your life and you'll begin to discern God's will, God's direction for your life. Put on the mind of Christ. That's what Colossians says, to be able to learn God's will for you. So in that process, in closing, 
how we're supposed to live sacrificially, present our time, present our money, present our energy, our bodies back to the Lord. Here are just some things, some practical things Paul tells us. Here's here's how this looks in relation to other people. Look at verse 3. Here's how we're supposed to live sacrificially now. In verse 3, he says, For I say through the grace given to me, to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. For as we have many members in one body, but all the members do not have the same function, so we, being many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them. If prophecy, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith, or ministry, let us use it in our ministering. He who teaches in teaching, he who exhorts in exhortation, he who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. Verse 9, let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil, cling to what is good. Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love, in honor, in honor giving preference to one another. Not lagging in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing steadfastly in prayer, distributing to the needs of the saints, given to hospitality. Okay, I'm just going to pause there. Here's, and I'm going to put it on the screens for you, uh, different ways Paul says, this is how our lives now sacrificially are supposed to look. He says, be humble, verse 3. Okay, think of yourselves uh, sober-mindedly. Don't think of yourselves more highly than you ought. So live sacrificially with humility. Live sacrificially with unity through diversity. Notice how he says there in verse 4, for as we have many members in one body, but all the members do not have the same function. So there's one body, but there's different functions. There's unity, but there's also diversity. So we, being many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. So how are we supposed to live with one another? Okay, we're not all supposed to be the same. God's given us different gifts. God's given some people a gift of generosity, some a gift of hospitality, some a gift of encouragement, some a gift of teaching. We're not supposed to all look like each other. You know, enjoy and love the way that God has created you and given you different gifts to serve Him. We're supposed to be diverse in those areas, but we're all serving the same Lord, all for one goal, all for one Lord Jesus Christ. So live with that in mind towards one another. Okay, He's not like me. Why, why can't I be more like Him? Or why can't I be more like her? Okay, God has given you certain gifts. Flourish in those gifts Live for the Lord and then live in unity. That's how we're supposed to live with one another. Live for genuine love for each other. That's why Paul says, I think it's, uh, where is it? Verse 9, let love be without hypocrisy. Uh, the NLT version says something like, um, don't pretend to love one another. Sometimes it's easy for us to put on that Christian face and just fake our love for each other just because we know we're supposed to respect each other and love each other. Okay, but Paul says, listen, don't pretend, don't be two-faced, don't be hypocrites when it comes to your love for one another. Just genuinely love each other, genuinely just accept each other and uh, help one another and pray for each other. Okay, just genuinely love each other, it's verse 9 and 10. And he also says, work hard, okay, in your service to one another, just in, in, at your job, work hard. Uh, he also says, do it with enthusiasm, all right, there's nothing more... Uh, just 
awful when our boss sees us coming in to work, just, I don't want to be here. Okay, maybe you don't want to be there, but here's where you can pretend. Okay, just pretend that you want to be there. Just do it with enthusiasm. I'm going to do this. You know, uh, there's a Bible verse that says, everything you do, do uh, as unto the Lord. Okay, at your job, wherever you are at school, um, do your work, do your school uh, as you're doing it unto the Lord. And if you're doing something unto the Lord, okay, you're going to want to work hard at it. You're going to want to be enthusiastic about it. You're going to have a good attitude about it. So be enthusiastic. Okay, it doesn't mean to be fake, but just enjoy serving people as you're doing it unto the Lord. Uh, be patient and persevere in prayer. And then finally, verse 13, be generous and be hospitable. These are some ways Paul says, this is how we can live this out. So when he says, use your bodies as living sacrifices unto the Lord, it also means how we behave with one another. Love each other. Be generous. Be hospitable. All right? Work hard. Serve one another. Do it cheerfully. Bind each other with a sense of unity. Don't be like each other. Okay, be your own person in the Lord, but we should all be united in our same faith and, and be humble. Be humble about it. Live and work as unto the Lord. And so let me just close by saying, don't be conformed to this pattern of this world. Okay, the world has plenty of people who look the same and who are doing the same thing. And it's getting old, honestly. Looking at the world and looking at just the pattern of our world, the things that our world does, the things that our world considers as fun and as pleasing. Okay, don't copy the pattern of this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you can learn to discern God's will for your life. And you do that by not looking like the world, by looking different from the world and just giving all of yourself to the Lord. Again, your thoughts, your time, your energy to the Lord. Don't leave here now thinking all of your 168 hours of the week have to be on bended knee like a nun or like a priest. Before the Lord, just God, I want to give you all of my time and all of my energy. Okay, don't go weird on me like that. But just throughout your week, just look at your time. Look at how you're using your time. Look at how you're using your energy. Look at just what you're doing. Just take a, just take a test and, and a, just a, a brief um, just outlook on, on, on your week. And just say, God, I'm just going to give this to you. I'm just going to offer myself to you. In different ways, I've been just giving myself to other things that don't edify me and that aren't good for me, aren't beneficial to me. I'm just going to give it back to you and I'm going to find ways. I'm going to look at the different hours of my week and just release control and just give it back to you. And whatever you do, when you do that, with however much time and and energy and however much of yourself you give to the Lord, the more you give to the Lord, the better off you'll be. The more results you'll see, the, the more benefit you'll reap spiritually, physically, all of the above, because anything we just continue to give back to the Lord, offer to the Lord, the Lord will see that and he will bless it and it'll be better for us and it'll give God more glory in the process.